And everybody said, amen. Well, at this time, the kids are dismissed. So you guys can go ahead and follow Miss Kimberly out that way. To the rest of you, I say good morning. I need a little energy this morning. I don't, I don't know, like, are you guys 4th of July people? You guys like America, America, right? Yes? Okay, I got to show you my socks real quick just to, you know what? Like some people, Valentine's Day is their deal. Others, it's Mother's and Father's Day. Give me the 4th of July all the time, right? Um, and so we're uh, just... Uh, Looking a little down today, I think a lot of people are enjoying uh, maybe the heat wave that we've finally experienced this summer, but we're glad that you're here with us. We're also glad where the Ketchums. The Ketchums are there in the audience. Let's give them a round of applause. And like has already been mentioned, if your Sunday school class is planning to uh, come and listen to them, you're just going to hang out here after the 9 a.m. service, and they've got an exciting presentation that they'd love to show you. But before you get to the meat of the morning, you got to deal with me, okay? Uh, so this morning's message, we're taking a break from summer on the mount. Pastor wanted me to steer clear of that because I presume he's already worked through a lot of that. And so I chose a one-off service called Anxious for Nothing. Everybody say that. Anxious for nothing. That's a tough thing to say. To truly be anxious for nothing. In fact, Stacy and I, just on our drive over this morning, we were talking about some things that make us anxious. Uh, yesterday, Annie was in the back of our car, and, you know, we just let her play. We figure it's pretty safe. But about five minutes in, Stacy noticed out of the corner of her eye that Annie had a pair of scissors in the back of the car. And that makes us anxious. <laughs> Luckily, all of her hair was still intact. Nothing was cut up. So uh, we're, we're good by that. The other day, I was driving to my in-law's house, and there was this guy. I kid you not. I am not making this up. This guy is sitting over his lawnmower, pouring gasoline into his lawnmower with a cigarette lit down his mouth, and he's just pouring away, and that made me really anxious. Okay, and actually, my NYI president, I, I called her yesterday because uh, we're working through final details of Nazarene Youth Conference and getting the kids there this week, and I told her yesterday, I said, Whitney, this message I just feel like you're really going to enjoy, and she asked naturally, oh, what's it about? And I said, well, you'll have to find out tomorrow, and I'm sure that produced a little bit of anxiety in her, right? Anxious for nothing. Say it again with me. Anxious for nothing. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Old Testament and the New Testament this morning. We're going to start in the book of Philippians. So if you want to flip to Philippians, the fourth book, and we're going to be in verses four through nine, Paul has a lot to say. And so let's go ahead and dive in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and hear and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Blessed be the reading of the Lord's word. So I got a question to start out this morning. How many of you have ever heard of the term heavy in spirit? Just by a raise of hands. Have any of you experienced heaviness in spirit? My guess is that you probably have at least once or twice in your life. Maybe you have a deep burden for your children or for your family or for one of your friends. Maybe you're heavy in spirit Uh, is coinciding with struggles with mental exhaustion. I know that we're experiencing that in our own household these days. We've got this brand new baby, we've got this ministry, and it's in the heat of summer where youth ministry is at its busiest. And we can at times feel heavy in spirit just with mental exhaustion of trying to connect to the next thing that we need to do. Still, some of you might be in heavy in spirit because you're longing for some sort of peace in your life. And we've all had these feelings at one time or another. And Paul states, don't be anxious for anything. And I don't know about you, but I kind of I get angry when I read that from Paul. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about, brother? What are you saying here? Don't be anxious for anything because the fact of the matter is that Paul got to walk with God in a way that most of us can only dream about. He experienced miracles. He went on journeys. He met different people and saw different things that bolstered his faith perhaps in a way that most of us can't even fathom. And so when he says, don't be anxious for anything, it's kind of like when I tell my wife, don't get mad when she's already mad, or calm down, honey, it's going to be okay. What does that do? The inverse, she gets angrier and starts throwing things, but we're not going to talk about that here. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, though. Sometimes we have this great way of just thinking, about things through rosy-colored glasses. But at the time of this writing, Paul was actually locked up in prison, not knowing what his future would hold. And so that leads me to wonder, how could he say that with such assurance? I'd be as anxious as ever in that situation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And so today, this scripture in Philippians is going to be a reference through the lens of an Old Testament character that perhaps at first glance, you wouldn't consider to deal with this struggle of anxiety and mental exhaustion and longing for peace. And he's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. His name is Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. But before we get to that, what do you all think about pastors? Actually, don't verbalize that. Save that for Pastor Mark. He deals with all the crap. Now, if we're thinking about it in nice terms, 
Probably what you think about pastors is that they're confident, they're articulate, they're level-headed sometimes, right? We, we kind of have this picture of pastors that's cool and suave and like they got their crap together, but I'm here to break the news to you that that is not always the case. And you know, for the majority of my own life, I, I got to be honest with you, I didn't struggle with feelings of anxiety, I was always a pretty happy-go-lucky uh, kid, and despite some struggles in my childhood, um, I, I was never too despondent, right? And especially after I found the joy of the Lord and received my calling to ministry and was excited about the future, I never really dealed with struggles of anxiety. And so for the young adults in the audience today, I, I want you to hear this particular part of the story. I had just graduated from college, and if you go to a private Christian college, perhaps no other time in your life will you be surrounded by as many like-minded people in your own age group. You just won't experience that in that concentrated way again. And I was the kind of kid who lived for college. I loved college. I didn't come home in the summer. I stayed on the campus and worked and traveled and uh, promoted the university. I loved college. And so when I graduated, I was having a little bit of trouble finding the right kind of pastoral job that I wanted. I ended up taking a, a job for just a season with, um, I forget, Job and Family Services uh, with the county that I was living in. But then finally, there was a position that opened up in Virginia that really had a nice ring to it. So I upped and packed everything from Ohio, and I went by myself to Virginia. I was single at the time. And that was one of the toughest seasons of ministry that I've ever been in. And that's where I really, for the first time, dealt with these issues of anxiety and it's because I went from this concentrated group of like-minded friends to the boondocks of southern Virginia. Y'all ever been to Roanoke? Those people just act different. You know what I'm saying? They're not Hoosier hospitality kind of people. They're not even Midwestern charm. It, it's something else over in Southern Virginia. And I have a lot of friends, so hopefully the live stream's not on. Uh, love you guys in Virginia. But it was difficult. It was a difficult transition. And so finally, after about a year and a half of feeling isolation, loneliness, anxiety. I uh, upped and found a pastoral job on the east side of Indianapolis at Indianapolis First Church of the Nazarene. And it would seem on its head that everything looked really good. I was uh, being reunited with my mentor and his son, who was my best friend. Britton, if you remember him, he was the worship leader a couple revivals ago. And then I was moving back to the area where I had grown up, so I had just expected to reconnect with friends. And so I actually called Stacy's brother, who's my best friend, the day I took the job at Indy First, and I said, Brian, you're not going to believe it. I found a job 15 minutes away from your house. And that was followed with a lot of quiet. So I said, Brian, are, did we get disconnected? He said, no, I'm still here. What do you think? I'm excited, right? Like maybe we should get an apartment. No. Well, tell me what's up, Brian. 
I just joined the Air Force. Well, could you get out of it? <laughs> I just signed the contract for six years today. Not feeling so patriotic right now, I guess. Now, I had thought those were solutions. My geographical location, who I was doing life with, actually ended up turning into a pretty sour situation at Indy First. That's a story for another time. But I share that to let you know that this particular passage in Philippians served as a bedrock for my faith. So I wasn't bound up like Paul, but I was in a prison of my own mind. And a mentor once told me that your best preaching comes out of personal experience. And I want you to understand that nobody, not even pastors, not even pastors at AFC, are exempt from struggles of anxiety. We can be locked up in prisons of our own mind. And actually, it's really easy to these days, right? Like, you just turn on the news, and it will freak you out. Like, I was at camp last week, and all of a sudden, I'm getting all these text messages about Wagner. And up until I looked at the news, all I thought Wagner meant was a board member on the church board at AFC. But apparently, it's like this militant group that was trying to overthrow the Russian government. And that just produces anxiety, Things like that, national events, international news can produce anxiety. But we don't even have to turn on the news to get those feelings. I work a lot with Generation Z. They're a fantastic group of uh, students and young adults. They've got bright futures, great characteristics. But did you know that Generation Z is the most anxious generation in American history? And it's showing in real ways. COVID didn't help, but there are other factors contributing to that. And there's a lot of questions that keep them up at night, just like questions keep you up at night. And so we think about this from a bird's eye view. Is it possible to be anxious for nothing? So let's go to Elijah. If you don't know who Elijah is, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet who he really loved God. And he saw his power, his glory, his splendor, his favor, his faithfulness. And while it may not be readily apparent, Elijah struggled with anxiety. And so Elijah faced an evil king of Israel named Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. And uh, because of his worship and his devotion to false gods, uh, the Lord sent Elijah to Ahab to prophesy a drought that would significantly impact the kingdom of Israel. And as a result, Ahab pursued Elijah for three years with everything that he had. And so Elijah is being chased by this mad king into exile, but still he sees God's protection in this season. The scripture in 1 Kings records that ravens brought the prophet meat and bread twice a day, every day along his journeys. There's a story where Elijah came to the house of this widow and her son, 
and they were actually getting ready to just die. This is what the scripture says. They had just a little bit left for food. They had just a little oil left. And she literally said, we're going to eat this meal, and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, no, give that to me, and the Lord will provide. She was obedient. And then the Lord provided miraculously through that situation. But then the boy got sick and died And Elijah saw the miracle of the Lord bringing this boy back to life. His provision and his protection. So he's experienced all of that. And finally, the Lord called him to return. And he went to challenge 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. And he taunted them as they tried so hard to summon their false gods. And they even resorted to ridiculous measures like cutting themselves and crying out. So finally, you know the story. Fire fell from heaven and consumed Elijah's sacrifice after he dumped so much water on it. You would think that this miracle and this faith journey so far in Elijah would have bolstered his faith so much that nothing could shake him. It would seem like he won. Elijah could face 850 false prophets. He could stand up in the face of this mad king Ahab. But how many of you have heard the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? I have. Jezebel, say your name, Jezebel. Jezebel was the wicked wife of Ahab. And she started threatening Elijah's life. And we pick up in 1 Kings 19 that he ran for the hills. He fled for his life. So we're going to be in 1 Kings for the rest of this, starting in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 19. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked the Lord that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life away, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah had deep and very real anxiety. His biggest fear was that he was going to be killed by Jezebel, and while running, he started to wish upon himself the very thing that he was running from, death. Elijah, in my estimation, made four mistakes that we've all been guilty of at one time or another when it pertains to anxiety. Let me list them out for you. Number one, we run ourselves into the ground. How many of you would testify that that's probably the case today? We go, we go, we go, and we go, and we go, and we don't take care of ourselves uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and we just got to keep going from point A to point B to point C, so on and so forth, and eventually our anxiety will run us into the ground. And if you didn't catch it, Elijah ran as far as he could go to a place called Beersheba. So if you pulled up a map and measured Mount Carmel to Beersheba, that's like running five marathons. He ran himself physically 
into the ground. We have a tendency to fall apart at some point, but it's actually what happens leading up to that that causes the meltdown. And as I've already said, he was at one point wishing upon himself the very thing that he was running from. He feared for his life from this wicked woman Jezebel. And he feared so much and he ran so hard into the ground that at the end of his journey, he was physically and mentally exhausted. He just said, okay, God, I am done. Take me now. We run ourselves into the ground. Number two, we shut people out. This is probably the biggest trend I see with our young people. Because we preach all the time that life is better together. Be in biblical community. Join a small group today. But when the hard times come, when you're faced with real struggles and circumstances that you can't control, at least in the younger generation, I don't know about the rest of us, they've actually found it easier to not have relationship. Because oftentimes, the circumstances leading to the anxiety are caused by bad relationships, toxic relationships, negative relationships. So as a result, we cut people out. Biblical community may be better, but it's just easier to do life alone. We shut people out. We see here Elijah actually left the one person who is still by his side is his own servant. He left his servant and ran away. And in seasons of life where we fear and we live with anxiety, isn't it true that we shove those who are closest to away? If we're just being gut level honest this morning, isn't that the case? When we're struggling with things, we tend to lash out on people that we love most and then we shove them out of the way. Number three, we focus on the negative. So I've talked about Generation Z for a second. Is it okay if I talk about the older people? Thank you. Do you know how many times I'm just walking around here in this church, we can be real. And I hear people focusing on the negative. Never mind what God is doing. Lives being changed, people being transformed, salvation and sanctification. But just because it gets a little messy and maybe because the change is happening at a rate that we're not used to, it produces anxiety. And instead of focusing on the incredible and the miraculous, we focus on the negative. Y'all, we've got to stop that. There are ears other than Pastor Joey's in this building. There are little children's ears who, for the first time, growing up in Anderson, there is a place built just for them that is safe and clean. 
that they can come and they can get things that they think they need to actually get the thing that we know they need. Does that make sense? But we focus on the negative. Saints of the church, do better. Just because you don't like a floor or a paint color or the name of a ministry, could, could I say this? Get over it. Right? Thank you. But anxiety does that to us, and I don't want to discount it. I understand that change is difficult. But we tend to focus on the negative when we're left to our humanness. We say things like, I, I've had enough. Uh, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Nobody listens to me. I try and try. Nothing gets better. Things will never change. We allow the lies of the enemy to say that I'm no better than those before me. And that's just not the case. So we run ourselves into the ground. We isolate ourselves. We focus on the negative. And then I think this fourth one could actually sum up the rest because this is actually what we're doing with all of it. We forget God. Remember, Elijah had just experienced miraculous provision for three years. How quickly we forget God. How quickly we forget his sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his provision. God was faithful. He was present. His power was visible and evident to Elijah. And it doesn't make sense, but really does anxiety ever really make sense? Elijah feared death and was having anxiety because of it. And even though he had seen God's provision in the wilderness, in the widow's house, the power through the Lord raising a dead boy back to life, he still feared. And I find this interesting here. Elijah's name alone should have been enough comfort to him. So let's go to the next slide because I think this is really interesting. Talking about anxiety and Elijah. Because if we break down Elijah's name, everybody say Elohim. Elohim means God, so El for Elijah, Elohim, God. I means I or my. Hya is Yahweh, which Breathe in. Everybody, like, breathe in real quick with me. <sighs> Did you hear it? <sighs> Do it with me. <sighs> you say his name when you breathe. Yahweh. God is my breath. Elijah's name literally meant God is my breath and still it wasn't enough to comfort him. And yet, even knowing God was near, he falls apart. But remember what Paul said in Philippians. The God of peace. Everybody say peace. The God of peace will be with you. So what's God's response in all of this? Does he start cracking down and saying, oh, ye of little faith, haven't you seen what I've done for you? You ungrateful mortals. Now, <laughs> the Lord didn't respond that way. No. God met Elijah at the point of his need. 
We pick back up in 1 Kings 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Elijah means the Lord is my breath. I don't find it coincidental that God revealed himself to Elijah through a gentle whisper. What is this passage trying to say? God was not in the remarkable in this scenario. He was in the ordinary. When we're hurting, when we're filled with anxiety, why doesn't God speak through remarkable and loud ways? Why does he whisper? Because, you know, the enemy, he's going to shout at you. He's going to tell you that you're not good enough. He's going to tell you that you don't have a certain quality, a certain attribute, a certain skill. You don't have the qualifications. You don't have the talent. You don't amount to anything. And the enemy is going to shout these lies at you. Why does the Lord whisper? When do you generally whisper? One, when you're trying not to get caught. I don't think that's the case here. No. The Lord whispers because he's near. He's close. He doesn't have to shout because he's far away. Now, sometimes he may scream at you because you're not paying attention. But most of the time, he doesn't have to be flashy and flamboyant, or some great sign. He's already near, in fact, he's as close to you as your breath. And if we could just settle ourselves and lean into that peace that surpasses all understanding and quiet the chaos that is our life, we might just be able to hear him in the whisper. A gentle tone is all that's needed. I'm, I'm learning this with my own kids. 
Um, I didn't realize how much of a hothead I was until Annie turned into a toddler. And she just drives me nuts seven days a week right now. She just does things that she knows she's not supposed to. And when I shout at her, when I yell, it generally, in my estimation, makes her more anxious. But when I talk in a calm tone, when I set the pace for the conversation, she's generally much more obedient. A gentle tone is all that is needed. So I don't want to discount anxiety this morning. Anxiety is a complicated matter. It sometimes requires a dietitian or a psychologist or a counselor. And if you struggle with those, seek help. It's okay. You can have Jesus and a counselor too. But a helpful reminder for when it comes to anxiety as a spiritual matter is this. My experience plus God's presence is enough. If you're struggling with anxiety, we don't discount your experience. We count it all for God's presence to be near. And as a result, it can be enough. So listen to this. We're going to fast forward real quick to 2 Kings. They both were standing by the Jordan. This is the transition between Elijah and Elisha. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two men could go over on dry ground, and they had crossed. Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you, for I am being taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit to me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Okay, so you might not have caught it. The thing that he feared the most in life, the thing that Elijah feared most in life, okay? It never happened. It literally never happened. He was taken away on a chariot into heaven. And the thing that he had spent so much time and so much mental capacity thinking about never happened. Isn't that incredible? You could say he was anxious for nothing. I'm learning this too. I don't have it figured out. But I come to tell you that the vast majority of what you fear never happens. We allow Satan a foothold and he manipulates our thoughts and our emotions. And most of the time, the things we fear most, they never happen. Sometimes things that we fear do happen. And the experience 
was nowhere as near as bad as we thought it could be. Still, sometimes we go through circumstances. But the truth and the hope of today is that we serve a God that will never leave us and never forsake us. He's close. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Bring your requests to God. Why does God whisper? It's because he's close. It's because he's near. We're not doing Christmas in July this year, but something I like to talk about during those series is Emmanuel. God is with us. And so for this morning's response, I was kind of wrestling with it throughout the week. And I'm not necessarily calling for the altars to be opened. They're certainly always open if you feel prompted to. But I've asked Heather to come up and to sing a song that, I don't know, at times when I'm anxious, I turn on. You know the old song, he's got the whole world in his hands? She's not going to sing that one, but do you guys know what I'm talking about? He's got the whole world in his hands. The problem is, do we always believe it? And if the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it could sustain all of this, do we believe that he could sustain us in our trials, in our circumstances, in our anxiety? So this song is a song of worship. It's entitled, So Will I. Take a listen to the lyrics and respond the way that you feel is adequate. God of creation, we're at the start before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, we spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can 
Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Father, we just come before you this morning a grateful people. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you for revealing this very real and practical topic through the men who helped compose scripture. And Lord, as I pray that we could continue to live out Paul's words in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, Lord, could we just surrender control to you? Lord, could we just surrender our agenda, our preferences, our desires to you? Lord, could we even release the things that cause anxiety in our lives to you and trust you and as our response, worship you? Because you're as close It's the very breath on our lips. God, I pray for those struggling with feelings of anxiety. God, I pray that you would go to them and that there would be a peace that surpasses all understanding and that there would be a testimony just like Elijah, just like Paul, that they would encourage others around them. God, thank you for this day. Lord, bless us as we go our separate ways. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.